0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley.
1: It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in for another week's worth of Brewers Talk. After one of the, quite honestly, more negative uh, podcasts we've ever had last week i think last week and we were talking on a sunday after the brewers had been swept by the cubs that was the low point of the 2019 milwaukee Brewers season and it just felt like nothing was going right so last week kind of a, a negative tone to the program i i don't know if it's a 180 degree turn but it's pretty darn close because this past week brewers played some pretty good baseball more importantly. Uh, they won games. I and mean, they, they even, you know, Friday night, they did not play good baseball, but they won a game. So they were able to sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates this past week. They take two of three uh, against the Rangers. And it has a, it's a very different tone, I think, to the podcast this week than even just one week ago. Before we uh, do go any further, our normal housekeeping items here at the top, uh, if you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and can leave a ranking and review, that'd be great. Also, if you can subscribe on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, that would be fantastic as well. If you just go to you know WTMJ.com or use the WTMJ mobile app or you don't even know what you're doing, you just see a tweet from me every week and you just click on it and all of a sudden it starts playing. Keep doing what you're doing. No big deal. Thank you for listening every week. You're awesome. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me, Twitter's the easiest way to do it. At Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. DMs are always open, but I would say this. I enjoy being able to have conversations with people where maybe other people can chime in. So if you've just got a, a Brewer's comment or something, uh, I'll answer DMs. But generally just tweeting at me is better because at least maybe we can start some sort of a conversation right there. But either way, I try to do my best to uh, respond to everybody who tweets at me. I'm not 100%. I'm not perfect, but I do my... Best, or I do what I think is my best. Uh, on the program this week, our social media conversation is going to be with uh, Kyle Lobner, Tim Bradlauer's website, Shepherd Express, Milwaukee Record. He's going to be with us in uh, just a couple moments, and then later in the hour, Greg Young. I say the hour; it's not really an hour. It's a podcast. That's the radio guy in me coming out. I'm a radio guy hosting a podcast, although. Should be noted, this is airing on five forty ESPN every week. Sometimes twice a week is uh, the rumor that I heard. So a special hello to uh, everybody who is uh, listening during the uh, pod center on five forty ESPN. Thanks so much. By the way, you can find this as a podcast as well. Everything I just said a few moments ago about subscribing it applies to you, even if you do happen to be listening on the radio. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, coming up later on in the podcast, which will probably be about an hour. We we'll generally go a little bit more than that. Uh, we are going to have. Uh, Greg Young, he is the broadcaster of the Carolina Mudcats, the Brewers affiliate in the Carolina League. I guess my main thing here at the top of the program is just to make the point, and, and I've kind of already hit on it, this isn't going to be a long opening segment today, what a difference a week makes. You know, It really felt like this team was just grasping onto their contention this time last week, and I really thought this team was at a crossroads and they probably still are. I mean, they can't just have one pretty solid week of baseball and say, okay, everything's good now because there's, there's clearly work to be done. But I think you also have to feel a lot better about where the Brewers sit right now than you did a week ago. You know, going into action on Sunday, the Brewers were a game and a half out in the division and they were in a virtual tie for the top wildcard position. Now, I'm recording this on Sunday night. They did lose on Sunday to the Rangers. Mike Miner had a great pitching performance for uh, the Rangers. So did Jordan Lyles for the Brewers, but Miner was a little bit better with the eight shutout innings. Uh, Combine that with a Cardinals win over the Pirates. Brewers are now in third place in the NL Central, but still just two and a half games back of the Cubs, only a half game back of St. Louis. Uh, From a wild card standpoint, if the season were to end right now, if we play that game, the Brewers would not be a playoff team. The, uh, the the playoff teams would be Washington and St. Louis. Uh, the Brewers are right now a half game. That's the wild card teams. Uh, the Brewers right now are sitting a half game back of St. Louis for uh, the final wild card position. But they're right there, and they seem to be trending in somewhat the right direction. Uh, they're getting pretty solid starting pitching. We saw a great start from Adrian Hauser, saw a good start from. Um, from Jordan Lyles, we've seen multiple starts from Jordan Lyles, Chase Anderson has been consistent, Gio Gonzalez has been consistent, they don't need a fifth starter until later on in the month of August, and it would certainly appear that Zach Davies is going to be ready to go after that, and I think it's important for, even if Davies is totally healthy before then, uh, on Sunday night, it's August 11th, so we're talking like nine days till they need uh, a fifth starter, you get the sense that he would be healthy and be good to go. You get them a little bit of a break here, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, especially when your other four guys are all chugging along here pretty good. And before you know it, it's going to be September, and Brandon Woodruff's going to uh, be able to uh, get back into this whole thing. So uh, things are, they're in it. They're in it. There's still a lot of work to be done. I'm uh, I'm not crowning them a playoff team here at this moment, but I think this past week creates a little bit of hope. Now, admittedly, they're playing teams that they should beat. They should win a series from the Pirates. They should win a series from the Texas Rangers. I think where we're really going to kind of figure out what September is going to look like, if it's going to be a a crazy September where the Brewers are still fighting for this, or whether or not things go in the absolute wrong direction, we're going to kind of know that over the next few series. I'm not going to count the next series. They begin a two-game series against the uh, Minnesota Twins uh, this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then an off day on Thursday. And then they've got quite the run of games after that. They'll have a series against the Nationals, a team they're contending against for a wild-card spot. They've got the Cardinals, a team that they're contending against for both the division and the wild card. The Diamondbacks, they're still in wild card contention. Back to take on the Cardinals again, and then they'll match up against the Cubs. And I think you get through those series, and that's going to be another mile marker for me. When they wrap up that Cubs series on Sunday, September 1st, watching and seeing where they are at that moment is uh, is going to be that's going to say a lot about how the final month of the season is going to look like. And the final month of the season, you can kind of look at it two ways. You look at it in the sense that there's very few off days. In the month of September, they have an off day on Wednesday, September 4th. And they have an off day on Wednesday, or excuse me, Monday, September 23rd. They play every other day in the month. At one point, they will play 18 straight days. From September 5th to September 22nd, they don't have an off day. That's the bad news. The good news is there's a lot of winnable games in that month. You've got a series against the Marlins. You've got a series against the Padres. You've got a series against the Pirates. You've got a series uh against the Rockies. Uh, I I don't want to say Reds when I say that because the Reds have been on a little bit of a run here recently and so let's see where they end up when uh, when all is said and done. Uh but that's uh that's kind of where things are at right now. But the Brewers certainly playing themselves uh just making fans feel better about the entire situation that is the 2019 season with what they were able to do over the course of the past week. All right, so uh, coming up again, uh, we are going to hear from uh, Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, when we go down on the farm. But first, it's time for a social media conversation.
0: After every Brewer's game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable. And it starts now.
1: Brewers extra innings. The podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It's time for a social media conversation. Very happy to welcome on to the program, Kyle Loebner. You can read him absolutely all over the place. Uh, he contributes to the Timber Rattlers website, to the Shepherd Express, and also uh, to the Milwaukee Record. You can find him on Twitter at by Kyle Loebner. That's L O B N E R. In case uh, you need the spelling, Kyle. Appreciate the time. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. It's funny because last week may have been the single most negative podcast that I've ever done, and a week later, going into Sunday's action for the Brewers, they had pulled within a game and a half of the Cubs for first place in the division, and they were uh, in a virtual tie for the top wild card. Sunday, they, they fall back of that a little bit, but I mean that just kind of tells you one week's time, you can go from feeling like You're at the lowest point for the team to a week later being kind of right where you want to be.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, timing certainly helps. Um, You know, this is a a Brewers team that had the opportunity to play some bad teams before, some teams that were struggling before. Um, But the Brewers happened to catch the Rangers and the Pirates at a really good time. Uh, These are two teams that are both in kind of relative free fall right now. Uh, but with that said, these are still teams they had to go out there and beat, and for the most part this week they did that. Um, and so, yeah, it's you know all of a sudden it's starting to look like a plan comes together a little bit. Um, the record looks a little better, the numbers look a little better, and it's certainly a lot easier to be optimistic about the team than it was a week ago or two weeks ago.
1: And your most recent piece at the the mall at the excuse me at Shepard Express talked about can you know the headline is can the brewers replicate magic down the stretch and you get into you know last year what they were able to do uh during the final portion of the season and whether or not they can do that this year it's only a week and i mean you look at what's coming up they're gonna after this twin series every single series the rest of the month is against teams they're contending against for either the division or the wild card. Uh, But it is is—it's at least fun to be able to look back on last year's run and be somewhat hopeful, possibly, that they could do the same sort of thing this year.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the storylines that I didn't see covered regarding the the trading deadline, um, and it's the reason I wrote about it, is that when you look at what the Brewers were able to do last year down the stretch, it really wasn't a single stud pitcher that stepped out. It wasn't a a single huge performance on the pitching side. I mean, the the stories were Christian Yelich on the the offensive side really pushing towards his first MVP award. But on the pitching side, it was the depth, and it was the ability to have a guy specifically for any situation. It was the ability to avoid ever overextending a pitcher and it was the ability to always have one more fresh arm in their opponent's had. Um, and they used 19 different pitchers at least twice last September. Um, and this year's team, because of the depth they've built and because of some of the arms they've acquired and because of some of the guys that, in theory, should be healthy and back at some point in the stretch run, this September the Brewers might even have more pitchers available than they had last year. Um, now, there's still the same question here there's not the guy you would want to see necessarily in game one of a playoff series. Uh, there's not the guy who's going to throw a complete game in the World Series and become a legend. but there is the very same formula here that the Brewers wrote to an awful lot of success a year ago. Um, and so you know in the midst of you know kind of all the frustration that the Brewers didn't land a guy like Matthew Boyd, I think there's still a reason to believe, that what they did was find exactly what worked for them a year ago, bottle it, and load it up again.
1: I don't know where you stand, but the, the the guys, the current four guys who are in the rotation, they've got a four-man rotation here until they need a fifth starter, and by that point, Zach Davies should be set to come off the injured list. But the four guys who are currently in the rotation in uh, Jordan Lyles, Chase Anderson, uh, Gio Gonzalez, and Adrian Hauser, I'm I'm comfortable with them now. Like you alluded to, is that the guy that you want starting Game One of a, a playoff series? We we can argue yes or no on that. But as far as those guys being able to pitch in a regular season game, and at the very worst probably keep you in the game, at the very best have a Jordan Lyles-like appearance from Sunday where he gives up just one run in seven innings. I have I have pretty good faith in, in those four guys right now. Would you agree with that general statement?
2: Um. You know, it's it's interesting that you're perhaps a little more optimistic than I am. Uh, I, I don't know that I would count on these guys. You know, if you were building this team traditionally, I don't think you'd build it around a starting rotation with those four guys in there and think that you're going to make a playoff run with that group. Um, but going back to what we were just talking about, this isn't a Brewers team that uses their starting pitchers uh, traditionally. This is a Brewers team that's going to ask these guys to get them through four or five innings and leave the game in a position to win. And this is a group that I think you can count on for that. Um, you know, to get through the order a couple times, uh, to not let the game get out of hand, to kind of manage situations. And every now and then, one of them will surprise you,
1: uh, like Jordan
2: Lyles just did today. Um, You know, like Chase Anderson has done a couple times now, like Gio Gonzalez has done, like Adrian Hauser did over the weekend. Um, So I think this is a group that, with the formula the Brewers have set together, can be successful. Now, it's unlikely that these guys are going to be in a position to start, you know, every fourth game all the way through, or even every fifth game. Um, They're going to have to mix and match a little bit, as they've done all year. And their depth may become a little bit of a question mark when you get there. But for right now, um, given the relative low emphasis the Brewers put on starting pitchers yeah I do think this group can work
1: it's when you look and you know if we were talking a week ago we'd be talking about more losses recently than wins thankfully for right. Brewers fans we're talking about more wins and losses over the course of last week but you go back two weeks back three weeks back as they were in a bit of a lull most of those games I thought the reason that they lost was because they weren't scoring enough runs. And there seems, I think there's a combination, and I'll see if you agree with this. I feel like there's a combination of A, the Brewers didn't get a sexy name at the trade deadline, and B, occasionally you do have that really, really rough start, and those rough starts are more memorable than a guy going and giving up three runs and six innings sort of starts. that. Right. There's this sense that it's been starting pitching that's been the problem for the Brewers, but in reality, it's, it's been the offense that has been the problem. And when they have lost game, it's because they haven't been able to score enough runs.
2: I think that's probably fair. Um, and I think this offense, I mean, if the offense truly is the problem, then the good news for Brewers fans is that this offense is better than they've performed. Um, just point blank. There, there's no way around that. Um, you know, this is a. You're not going to hold a group with Christian Yelich and Mike Moustakas and Yasmani Grandal and all the pieces that they have down as long as you know through the end of the season. Now they had a couple rough weeks, uh... certainly, and there were you know there are some challenges with this offense certainly. Uh, but if starting pitching can keep them in games, that's really all the Brewers need. They don't need you know seven innings, seven shutout innings every time out from their starting rotation to be successful if they're only giving up a run or two and it's the fifth, they're probably going to be okay, or at least they have an opportunity to be okay. And so, yeah, it's a a combination of a lot of things. Um, I was at Miller Park on Friday and had a a real front-row seat to witness Um, some of the the kind of fatalism that comes with being a Wisconsin sports fan. Um, I've never seen somebody rage-quit a game while the Brewers were still winning before. But I caught that on Friday night, and I do understand some of the frustration. But I think, yeah, for a for fan for a fan base that followed a team that didn't win a lot for a long time, there is a dose of perspective, probably due to a a fair portion of the Brewer fan base. Um, Because this is still a a pretty good Brewer team. This is a team that's still in contention. This is a team that still has a lot of really good pieces. Um, They maybe haven't played as well as folks expected, and they maybe haven't played up to their full potential. But this is still a, a team that is, you know, kind of on the cusp. But doing what it's set up
1: to do. That Friday night game. I mean, I, I understand a win is a win, and you always appreciate wins. But the way with the the eighteen combined walks and you know a couple airs right. and the the hit batters and just the overall. I mean, that was a. It felt like the Brewers had a good inning in that seventh when they scored, what was it, two or three runs, and then obviously the Thames walk-off felt good. But outside of that, it felt like it was an entire game of each team trying to open up the door for the other team and seeing which team was actually going to walk through it. So uh, I thought it was odd. And, you know, Thames is always a a pretty excitable guy, but it almost felt like when he was doing the postgame interview that he was trying to get the crowd more energized because I don't know if, you know, the crowd had been through so much. That was was the least reaction to a walk-off home run that I've ever seen.
2: Well, and and those middle innings um, were just kind of slow and draining. I mean, it it was, because it was, it was, I think at one point Matt Albers let five consecutive guys reach. and um, just got a couple guys out on the bases. I know Freddie Peralta struggled. And, you know, you, you talked before about the, the outings that really uh, drain on a fan base. When a, a starting pitcher is bad, or when a bullpen is bad, it's, al- it's almost worse. Because you do get um, days like that where everything goes right for a while. And then all of a sudden the bullpen comes in and kind of sweeps the rug out from under it. Um, but yeah, it was it was a relatively thin crowd. Uh, by the end of Friday's game, a lot of folks had ducked out early. That game had also started late uh, because of the Wall of Honor ceremony. So by the time Thames hit that home run, it was I think close to eleven thirty. Um, but yeah, it was that was a, a long night on Friday. But I think it demonstrated some resiliency from the Brewers. It demonstrated the ability to kind of fish a win out of a bad day. Um, and at the end of the year. Uh, fans may not remember specifically what the sixth and seventh inning of that game feels like, but if that one win turns out to be important, I think they're going to remember that they got a walk off victory.
1: Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right on that. And but sidebar on the uh, on the the Wall of Honor stuff, how cool was it when they had Trevor Hoffman come out from the the bullpen with house bells?
2: Yeah, it was really cool. I was excited to be there. Uh, you know, we were reminded. Uh, my wife and I were there in Milwaukee. It was one of the first games after we had moved to Wisconsin uh, for his 600th save. Um, so we were there live for that. Um, and yeah, it was exciting to see him back in Milwaukee one more time. Um, it was fun to get to, it was fun to get to see all three of those guys again, Hardy and Weeks also. Um, it was less fun that it reopened an entire week worth of debate on Brewer's Twitter about whether or not Ricky Weeks is good again um but yeah it's it's always good to get an opportunity to see those guys come back, and that's the fun of the Wall of honor. I mean, these are guys, you know, it's not a hall of fame. Like I think people have characterized it as, it's kind of a it's a nostalgic event, and it's an opportunity to get one last shot to cheer for and recognize um, some of these guys that may not have been superstars or you know front page names in Brewers franchise history, but who still made pretty significant contributions to this organization and are guys that fans of a certain generation will always remember.
1: Uh, to me it's um, also,
2: and, yeah, it was very cool to get an opportunity to cheer for those guys again.
1: to me it's almost like you can walk down by it and it's a chance for you to like sort of relive moments like you can you can relive Milwaukee Brewers history just by walking through that and seeing all the names and everything kind of comes back to you that's that's kind of how i view yeah. it
2: yeah if you're somebody who grew up a brewer fan odds are your favorite player growing up is on that wall somewhere and it may be a guy you know, it may be Mark Loretta, who was never the biggest name on his own team while he was in Milwaukee, but you still have you know fun memories of Mark Loretta or a story to tell about Mark Loretta, and it's cool to have the opportunity to observe that. I think not every fan base gets that. All
1: right, back to baseball, uh, Josh Hader. In his mo- his most recent outing, he he gave up the the home run, and he's given up right. a few home runs recently. I almost felt like. That home run felt different to me. That felt more like last year, where he gave up the occasional home run because he he recorded five outs and four were via strikeout. He obviously had his swing and miss stuff. But that being right. said, even if you even if you get rid of that and just say okay, that that just happens to be a home run that he gives up in a period where he tends to be giving up a few more home runs. The bottom line is he is in a little bit of a rut right now.
2: Yeah, and I think you know the challenge with Hader is going to be. Um, Hayter spots his fastball relatively well, um, but the way he gets out is by throwing his fastball over the plate and having guys miss it. Um, that's, yeah, that's the big chunk of his game is his velocity and his ability to miss bats. Well, when that's your game, when, when that's your bread and butter, when that's the pitcher calling time after time, every now and then somebody's going to guess right. Um, you know, And you know, through no fault of anybody's, they're going to make hard contact because the ball is thrown hard enough and they're going to hit it on a level plane. Um, and so for as long as Hayter is a closer, um, and I'm reminded of, uh, and this is a name that's going to cause some folks to shudder, I'm reminded of Derek Turnbow at his best because it was kind of the same thing. It was a lot of fastballs. Um, the fastball had good movement on it, but it was over the plate a lot. And every now and then, even when Turnbow was at his very best, um sometimes he would put the ball over the plate and have somebody luck into hitting it a long way. Um and so when you've got a guy whose bread and butter is a fastball, um, uh, that's going to be the case sometimes. Now I still think, you know, it would be that would have been an entirely different outing if the Brewers had taken any of the opportunities they had to add on runs in that game and so Hader hadn't been out there walking the tightrope. Um or if they hadn't also needed him in the eighth inning and so he had been out there a little bit fresher and not quite as deep into his outing. I don't know that it's fair to expect Hater to never give up home runs. Um, for as long as he is the kind of pitcher that he is, he is going to need to challenge guys in the strike zone, and every now and then he's going to lose one of those challenges.
1: We saw the game on Saturday where Hader wasn't available, and they were able to get, uh, I think it was four outs from Junior Guerra. They got three outs from Matt Albers. Drew Pomerantz was okay. Yeah, and uh, Pomerantz was okay. Claudio faced one batter, didn't get him out. Um I'm I'm big right now on the the path to winning on days that Josh Hader isn't available. And we saw it on Saturday. Where are you at on kinda of all that right now for the bullpen?
2: Well, I think uh the next few weeks may tell the Brewers a fair amount about how they're gonna try to do that in September because they're they're going to try, I think, mixing and matching some guys. Um we saw Jake Faria this weekend, who is a guy who in the minors had a lot of strikeouts this year. Uh, strikes out about twelve guys per nine innings. Um, you know, and they're going to need to find, um, pieces that can help out here because for whatever reason, Jeremy Jeffress is not, um, as consistently effective as he was a year ago. Uh, Corey Canable is not ready to rejoin this team anytime soon. And so that the pieces that were around Hader a year ago are just not guys that are here. Um, and so as much as you know, we've already talked about how they're building around volume uh, and how they're trying to have a lot of fresh arms for September, the ability to mix and match, the ability to play matchups, and the ability to hope that that plays up because they're not having to overuse anybody. Um, They still do have some work to do to figure out which of these guys they want in there in the situation where you've got a one-run lead to protect in the late innings, Um, especially on days when Josh Hader is not available. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for mixing and matching and trying it out um, and just kind of hoping that it doesn't cost them too many games in the meantime while they try to figure out exactly what the answer's going to
1: be. And at one point it looked like Freddie Peralta was going to be the answer. Yeah, Craig Council was referring to him as next-level Freddie, and we were seeing him come in in high-leverage spots and striking guys out, but that's gone away. Recently, he hasn't been able to throw strikes, and it, he'll, it, it seems like he gets the first two outs, and this it isn't just him. It's It happens too often with the Brewers where they get two outs, and then all of a sudden teams have two-out rallies, but it does seem like, whether it's Freddie Peralta or anybody else, they are still looking for one more really reliable high-leverage guy.
2: Yeah, and some of that's, you know, Some of that is the, the way they pitch to the guys they face, that you know, by the time you get to the second or third batter in an inning or you're looking for that third out, it's already been 20 pitches, or it's been 20 pitches rapid fire, or it's been 20 high-stress pitches, and so you start to see them start to wear a little bit, and all of a sudden that third out becomes really hard to get. Um, some of that is solved by the September roster. Some of that is a case where when you see a guy get two outs but then start to labor, you can get him out of there. Um, and get an opportunity to put someone else in the position to be more successful. But some of that's just the the maturation process for some of these guys. Uh, And for a a guy like Freddie Peralta, uh, the most important thing you can do as a reliever is come in out of the bullpen and throw strike one to that first guy. Um, Be out there and be competitive right away. Because if you're going to be a high-leverage reliever, you don't have the time to walk the first guy and really establish your fastball and try to determine how this is going to go. You need to come out there with your best stuff and do it right away. Um, and for a guy like Peralta, who at times has struggled with command, that's going to be a big ask um, for him to be able to do that. And so, you know, I I appreciate that the Brewers are trying things outside the box. I appreciate that they're giving a guy like Peralta an opportunity to reinvent himself in a new role. Um, but I don't know that it's fair to expect the kind of success they got immediately from Corbin Burns last year, um, who was able to make that adjustment really quickly. I think for a lot of guys, that is a big change, um, and it, it means pitching in a role they've never pitched in before. And it's going to take them a little while to adjust to that.
1: I'm uh, I'm really intrigued through the rest of the month of August. You know, previously when the August trade deadline existed, teams would take players, veteran players, maybe in the last year of their contract who were a little bit overpaid and they would try to move them, you know, get kind of a mid-level prospect and get the other team to just pick up the salary. Now with the way the rules have changed, you can't pick up the mid-level prospect, but there does seem to be some teams, you know, we've seen a Jonathan Lucroy move. We've seen a a Joe Panic. Some teams seemingly are going to Let go of guys to just to try to, you know, save a million bucks by, you know, getting somebody else to just pick up a contract. Uh, Are you intrigued by maybe the way things play out in that area here over the final couple weeks of the month of August?
2: I mean, I'm not sure because I I don't think, like, for example, last year the the Brewers spent relatively big late in August for Gio Gonzalez and um, for uh, Curtis Randerson. I don't know if those kinds of players are going to come available in the the type of arrangement that you mentioned I mean and it's possible they will um uh, It's possible that if a team like the Giants slips out of contention, you all of a sudden see a bunch of pending free agents come available um but I think you know for the most part, the guys who are available on waivers are going to get claimed relatively quickly and relatively you know low on the ladder before they get all the way up to the brewers. There may be an opportunity here or there to add a piece. Um, And certainly with the way the Brewers build pitching, um, going with quantity, um, there may be a guy that the Brewers identify as something that can help them in a specific situation and take a flyer on him. But I find it hard to believe that there's going to be a player available that's going to help the team as much as, for example, Granderson or Gonzalez did a year ago.
1: Before, uh, people can read you on the Timber Rattlers uh, website, and you're very connected with what's going on there. And we had Chris Marion on last week, and you guys do uh, the podcast after home games. What's been, uh, what's been your take so far on Ethan Small?
2: He looks really good. I mean, we've only seen him pitch here in Appleton one time now. He pitched on the road last Friday. Um, but he looks really sharp. Um, there is a comparison out there uh, between Small and kind of the current era Clayton Kershaw. Um, Small doesn't throw as hard as Kershaw did at his peak, but Kershaw is still very effective right now because he can throw multiple pitches for strikes Um, and his delivery has a a lot of deception in it. He can throw the ball, you know, kind of with several different rhythms. It makes it really hard to catch up with him. Um, And Small has that skill in a big way. Um, He can spot his fastball anywhere, he can throw it from you know, a couple different arm angles with a couple different paces, and I think that's going to be a thing that's going to give him a lot of success going forward. Um, and certainly in the Midwest League where hitters are only seeing him you know, maybe once through the order or once and a half through the order because he's pitching abbreviated outings, um, he has an opportunity to be really dominant here. And he's going to pitch now uh, this coming Friday and the, the following two Fridays through the rest of the season at home. Um, The Brewers have opted to keep him here um, pitching every Friday uh, to keep his innings down a little bit and to keep him on his routine from his collegiate season. Um, And I would encourage fans to come out and take a look because this has been, you know, so far really fun to watch. Um, And he is a guy that almost certainly, you know, barring something completely unexpected, will not return to Wisconsin for 2020. He's a guy the Brewers are going to keep trying to move up the ladder. Um, and so the opportunities to say, boy, I remember when Ethan Small was a timber rattler and I saw him there, um, are relatively brief. It's the the next three Fridays. Um, and after that, if you want to see him pitch, you may need to go to Carolina or Biloxi.
1: Is it just me, and I'm, I could be a prisoner of the moment here, and that happens – it the Timber Eddlers have had some of the Brewers best, you know, top round dra- draft picks before. It really seems like there's a lot more hype with him than there's been in the past with those, those guys. Am I am I reading that correctly?
2: Well, I think you know, the difference between Small and a guy like Bryce Tarang, who was just here as a number one pick, is that um Small came out of the draft very near to being a finished product. He was a guy who had just dominated in the SEC. Um and so You know, he's a guy that I think you can come here and you can see the stuff right away that makes him probably already, you know, really good at this level, maybe already ready to move up. Um, And that's exciting to watch. When you're talking about a guy like Bryce Terang, Terang had a really nice first half here. I think he exceeded everybody's expectations. But because he was younger than most of the guys at this level, because he was in high school a year ago, um, there's still some growing pains. There's still some, some development. There's still some process there. And so for a guy like Ethan Small, I think it was a a very big deal to see him here because you have an opportunity to see him come and dominate right away. Um, The only first round pick in recent memory that has come to Wisconsin that I would compare to this is Keston Hira, um, who also drew a fair amount of attention when he was here a couple of years ago, Um, you know, really hit his way across the Midwest League in a relatively brief exposure and then moved up.
1: He is Kyle Loebner. You can follow him on Twitter at ByKyleLoebner. Read him on the Timber Rattlers website. Hear him on the uh, Timber Rattlers postgame podcast. Read him at the Shepherd Express. Read him at the Milwaukee Record. He's everywhere. Kyle, always appreciate your time and your thoughts. We'll do this again real soon.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Matt.
0: The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for uh, our opportunity to go down on the farm. And we once again uh, welcome on to the broadcast. He is the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, the uh, Carolina League high A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers is Greg Young. Follow him on Twitter at Greg Young Jr. Jr. just JR. Greg, always good to talk to you. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, man. How are you doing?
1: Good. Uh, this is a, an exciting conversation for a lot of people who are very into Brewers prospects because top two prospects in the organization are, are both currently Mudcats and Bryce Terang and Tristan Lutz. So let's just jump right into it and talk a little bit about Bryce Terang, who so many people are excited about what he might turn into what have you thought uh, during his time with the uh, Mudcats so far?
3: I mean, all the tools are there, you know. Um, you can definitely see it. I, I think he's just still trying to, to get it going, you know, with us. Uh, got off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, really caught fire, though, uh, probably about a week and a half ago. And you could see that, you know, for, for a 19-year-old in this league, uh, um, you know, to be able to hold his own like that uh, for as long as he did. I mean, he's kind of slipped into a here recently, but... Uh, it's, it's certainly a great sign. I mean, he's, he's flashed some power. Um, you know, he's the youngest player in this league right now. So he wouldn't bet a ton of that just yet. Um, you know, he'll certainly grow into that. But, you know, he's shown a little bit of that. Uh, he's an outstanding defender. I mean, he is he is extremely smooth. I mean, we have, you know, Devin Harrison on this team who uh, was with us last year as well and started here in Wisconsin last year. Um, you know, he is as smooth as it gets defensively. And Kerrang, you know, it looks like hands-wise he's, kind of in that same area, same type of player, smooth, consistent, Um, you know, and and, and Tereng's got a great arm, too. He's made some throws from deep shorts that, you know, are, are, you know, bar none, some of the best that we've seen this week so far. So, you know, just with where he's at, I think uh, defensively, you know, he can hang with anybody that's, that's out there right now. It's a matter of getting caught up to the speed of this league a little bit, pitching wise. It's been behind on a lot of pitches lately, but um, you know, it mean, certainly it's all there. It's just a matter of, of getting reps, and it's a long year too. I mean, it's the first full year as a pro, so I don't know if maybe that's you know having something to do with it, but. Um, you know, just, uh, just trying to put some more slink on it just uh, you know, continue to square him up and, and he'll find
1: success. You know, it's interesting you say that because when we talk about the, the jumps from one level to another, the, the common theme seems to be that that jump from high A to double A may be the toughest one. A lot of people talk about double A to triple A because you're facing, you know, more big league guys. Even occasionally you hear people talk about the jump from short season to full season ball. We rarely talk about the jump from low a ball to high a ball and here's the situation a guy was hitting close to 300 at Wisconsin and he's hitting below 200 right now with the Mudcats when what is the difference and what would you say about uh, maybe maybe it's more pronounced for younger players like Terang but what do you see as being the biggest challenge when guys do come up from Wisconsin
3: you know, anytime that I talk to the guys about it, you know, they always, they mostly just start by saying, you know, it's the speed of the game. You know, it, it is just everything ratchets up just one level more. Um, but beyond that, the secondary stuff is, is going to be better, you know, every step that you go. And I think that that's where you begin to see maybe the most difficult parts about uh, low A to high A. Uh, it's just that, that the secondary stuff of these guys is just so much more polished. Um, you know, the difference maybe between, you know, the, the way that their curveball moves versus the, the slider or just the, the difference in speed between the fastball and breaking stuff um, is a little more pronounced at this level. And I, I think I've also heard guys talk about change-ups being a little bit more dialed in here too. So I think it's just the, the transition of, or having to deal with, I guess, um, the transition between that, the, the fastball, seeing it also more consistently for strikes, um, but then also seeing the breaking stuff to go with it. I think that's what the guys kind of, noticed it the most beyond just the fact that the game speeds up you know that that much more but that's typically I think from what I've been told uh, is is kind of the, the biggest jump for all the guys coming up from the way
1: Clearly, we've talked about Tristan Lutz before. He has spent the entire season with the Mudcats. It seems like it's been a bit of a roller coaster. He'll get hot, and then he'll kind of come down. He's uh, he had a streak uh, before. What was that? Today's game. He yeah, had today's game. We're talking on Sunday. He had an offer, but prior to that, he had a five-game hit streak. He had back-to-back games with three hits in there as well. What's the What's the process, and and what's the development that you've really seen from Lutz recently?
3: So uh, he's hitting a, a lot of line drives right now, and he's he's squaring up a lot of balls and hitting them a long, long way. I mean, he he has hit some amazing home runs with us lately. Matter of fact, the one that he hit that was a three-run shot to give him the lead in the seventh inning a couple nights ago, uh, it was just a, a line drive that I mean, as soon as it left the bat, you knew that it was going to leave, and that uh, you know it was only it only seemed like it was in the air for a second, and then it was gone. I mean, it was incredible. He's just got just pure raw strength and. I was talking to somebody recently about it. In in some ways, he reminds me a little bit of Grish, maybe a little bit more polished, just at the the age that he's at right now, uh, with his ability to be a little bit more consistent. I'm not sure if they have the same kind of approach to the plate. Trent's a little bit more of a vacation player, obviously he walks a lot more. Um, But I I think just in regard to the uh, the tools, in regard to the power that he has, his ability to hit line drives, which is something that Trent Grisham was great at when he was here back in 2017. I mean, you know, he was as consistent as a guy as far as just squaring balls up. Now, he didn't really hit for average necessarily, but thus but he showed a lot of power. And I think Lutz has that, that similar skill set where just very cozy. And, and he is, you know, lately anyway, hitting a lot lot more line drives. And, I, you know, I, I think if you, you look at kind of like the, the roller coaster of the season for him, you know, I, I think it's, it's something that all the guys, you know, fall into. But one thing that he's able to do, I think, differently than others is that he's able to snap out of it a little bit faster and kind of get back to where he's supposed to be with um, you know his his hands getting to the ball in the right way, just getting his body his hands through pitches and and, and that kind of thing. You know, it's to hitting coach Bobby Bell. He, he just kind of praises a lot and his ability to to go out there and, and just kind of turn the page and get, continue forward and stay in the right mindset and stay in what works for him and continue to, to produce. And I mean, he is uh, he is as advertised. You know, what I mean, the, as far as him being the number two prospect in the system, I mean, he he has been fun to watch. He's played a great outfield um he's been a great leader too Just very quiet kind of goes about his business and uh, yeah i mean the, the power that he has it it's going to be really really exciting i think to see how that develops as he gets a little bit older
1: i think it's kind of cool that the top two prospects in the entire organization uh, are there with the mudcats and we've heard stories before about you know minor league players and kind of groups of minor league players moving through the minor leagues together, maybe winning some championships in the minor leagues and kind of leading the attack to getting to to the big leagues, and there's, there's a relationship there. I, I don't know what the relationship is like. I'm obviously not there and, uh, and just don't know the case, how it is. But how would you describe the relationship, and is there that feeling? Because, I mean, those guys— they know the rankings, they know where they're at, they, they, they understand it. Uh, how would you kind of describe that relationship uh, between uh, a Bryce Terang and also a Tristan Lutz?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think every team kind of has, you know, like the, uh, I, Quakes is probably not the best way to put it, but you know, just a few guys that kind of sort of gravitate toward one another. And I think Lutz and Terrain, they, they have spent some time together together. Um, Um, I I would say, though, that uh, the the, the tandem that's more like that is probably uh, Feliciano and and Peyton Henry, Mario Feliciano and Peyton Henry. Granted, they play the same position, but those guys are pretty tight, and they spend a lot of time together. Um, Just whether it be around the cage at BP or on the bus or something like that, just around just in general, just uh, two guys that that, that really get along well together. And and considering they play the same position, I I think that that's, that's really great to see and the fact that they're both you know, in that top thirty list, if you will. You know, they're both guys that are that are you know they may not be number one and two guys in your system, but uh, they're up there. And and for that position, you know, they are your your probably one and two guys uh, as far as catchers are concerned. So I'd say that you know, for a relationship like that, those are probably the two guys that that I would uh, kind of single out. But you know, I have seen you know Buts and in, in, in Teranging out a little bit more and more. Terang is is really close to you with Aaron Ashby, which is a good sign too, if you're looking for that that kind of uh, that kind of tandem in that sense. But you know, you have uh, two young guys who were drafted, you know, around the same time and uh, arrived there in the same year, I should say. And then, um, you know, guys that uh, are certainly highly thought of in the system, trying being number one and Ashley being in that, uh, I think he's in the top, what, 10 now uh, in the system. So that's good to see, too. And, you know, this group in general, is all it, they're all pretty tight and they all get along really well and really work well together.
1: Um since you brought them up let's those were the next guys I was going to ask you about In and, and Feliciano and Henry and they play the same position so I guess I'll I'll talk to you about them at the same time. Uh we we've talked about them before and and I'm I'm very high on both these guys. I think uh, I'm I'm probably especially high on Feliciano but it just seems like, I mean, looking at the numbers, these guys are continuing to do what they need to do. Maybe you'd like to see a Henry hit a little bit better than what he's hitting right now, but uh, they're doing their job. They're they're alternating between catching and, and DHing, and uh, there's a there's a very good chance that these guys are the, the catching tandem of the future with with the Brewers. How much fun is it to watch these guys every day?
3: Oh, these guys are incredible. Feliciano especially has just been amazing. He hit a ball here a couple nights ago that – uh, I don't know how many of the, the listeners out there are familiar with our stadium, but we have this giant video board in left field. It's uh, one of the biggest in all of baseball, um, and this thing just towers over the field. He hit one that I swear was still going up when it went over the board. It was unbelievable. Um, I don't know. I'm not privy to the track man info, but it was it was it had to have been easily the loudest home run we have seen he hit at least to that side of the field this season. Uh, but Mario has been been incredible as a hitter. I mean, he he puts the ball all over the field you know, hits it with authority to left to center to right, right center, left center, whatever it is. He's got such a great inside out swing that, you know, he hits it all over the place and he's only gotten stronger. You know, as the season's gone on, he's he's got the nineteen homers now, you know, as you and I are talking now, which is the most in this league. He's also leading this league in RBIs, which we've never had a player do by season's end, lead the league in both runs or home runs excuse me, and runs batted in. Um, you know, I mean he's he's a guy too to hit for power a little or not power, but uh, the average a little bit more lately to power certainly still but that's been there all year for him, um, but he he has gotten better and better as the season's gone on. And as long as he stays consistent, he'll continue to put up just incredible numbers as he goes forward. It's good to see him healthy too, uh, just to get a chance to get out there and play every day, which is something that he wasn't able to do last year. Uh, I and mean, then with Caden Henry, I mean, he is as far as his ability to call games, and, and you know, he was named the best defensive catcher in this league by Baseball America. That's voted on by the managers. Um, I mean, he he is just so much fun to watch, and and uh, he's so great and working with the pitchers and, and really having a good feel for what it is that they want to do. And Mario has done a great job with that, too. He was the one that got a uh, complete game two-hit shutout thrown by Noah Tavallis. So, I mean, he he definitely knows uh, you know how to, how to work with these guys as well and, and, and command that uh, uh, that position there behind the plate in, in calling games. But Peyton, one of the things too that really stands out to me about him is, is, is his ability, as far as the hitting tool is concerned, is to hit the, the ball the other way for power. He's got 13 home runs now this season, along with Tristan West. They we both have 13 as we record this. But all of them did either have been hit the right field, right center, or center field. He hasn't hit one up left, which, you know, I mean, maybe you like to see the the pull side, you know, every once in a while, just because, I don't know, just, just to see it. But the ability, I think, to hit it that consistently with power the other way, I think only means just good things moving forward to him as he continue, off the, continue to build off of that kind of swing and that mentality. It's It's been fun. I mean, these two, they, they're the best catchers in this league. Um, and I, there's a good chance that Feliciano's going to be the MVP of this league uh, when it's all said and done. And as long as he finishes first in all runs and ribbies, that tends to be kind of the lock in this league as far as who's the MVP. It, it's happened now, I think, the last four or five years that the league leader in homers and RBIs, if you lead them both, you pretty much have the MVP. So we haven't had that yet uh, since we've been in the Carolina League, and I, that'd be great to see, especially you know with the, the re-rankings and what have you about the system and all that. You know, to see a guy kind of excel, you know, at this level and, and gain that kind of accolade, if it happens, I think it's a great sign for, you know, the organization and, and really kind of helping the fans realize that there is a lot of talent in this system, whether it be that you're a follower of the rankings or not, regarded the system in general. There's some great players in here, and uh, those two um, and a lot of the ones that we have are, are certainly, you know, having great years and are fun to watch.
1: I'm kind of stuck on something you said. That, that stinks that they don't give you access to the TrackMan stuff.
3: I know, right? I gotta find a way to to, to get that stuff because I, I love it. I love watching yeah. major league games, but uh, yeah, it, it would help out a lot. You know, and, and also just to, to kind of give folks an idea. It's one thing for me to say that a ball was hit hard. It's another to be able to say that you know here's why, and here are the numbers that they go with it.
1: It, yeah I mean the the data that's out there you know, I'm lucky covering it from the major league team and just this, you, sometimes you can get lost in it but if you don't get lost mm-hmm. in it it's you find out you, you know you pull that nugget here that nugget there it's really really good stuff
3: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah no we're, we're working on it we'll see maybe one day
1: all right very good uh, you mentioned Aaron Ashby and he's on the injured list right now last time he pitched was on uh, August fourth so he hasn't been on the injured list uh, that long. 3.65 ERA uh, this year for him. I guess what's his status moving forward in terms of health? And uh, w- how impressed have you been with uh, him and his limited time with the Mudcats?
3: Oh, he's looked great. You know, I'm not sure if this is something that's going to hold him out for the remainder of the year or not. I-, I-, I think it's something where he's going to return before it's all said and done. Um, but uh, you know his stuff is is uh, is fantastic, uh, just great. I mean, he, he, as far as a left hander that's thrown in the mid nineties with ease, I mean there aren't many guys in this league that can do that from the left side. You know that's not something that you see all that often. Um, but uh, you know for a starter anyway, and his his breaking stuff is phenomenal. You know his his ERA kind of took a little bit of a blip up briefly. He was sick uh, in his uh, start on the road in Myrtle Beach, uh, kind of halfway through his tenure with us. Um, kind of battled his way through it. Uh, ended up having a little bit of a rough one that day. I think the the effects of that lingered a little bit to his next start. But ever since then, he's he's been pretty dialed in. His last outing, I want to say, I, I think it was in Winston-Salem. He gave up, I think it was like five runs and, and one inning early. Just uh, a lot of contact just uh, immediately out the gates for Winston-Salem. And then from there, uh, he really settled in and he was lights out the rest of the way. So we've had a couple of guys do that where maybe early in starts, they have like one inning that gets away from them and then they're able to catch up. But, you know, stuff wise, you know, being able to be in the mid 90s as, as consistently as he is with that fastball, the way that he mixes speeds, uh, not just in regard to the, the pitches and, you know, the breaking ball, whatever it is, the curveball, the change up of the slider, whatever it might be. Um, it's also his ability to change uh, rhythm out there on the mound, his ability to, to change up his delivery. You know, sometimes he'll uh, get halfway through a, uh, his windup and with his leg kick, will hold it and then stop completely and then throw or sometimes there's a little bit of a hitch in there where like he pumps it uh, pumps that leg up and then down again and then throws but that ability to, to keep the hitters off balance you know I, I think that's something that one he feels really comfortable with doing he's been doing it since college but um you know doing it uh, with, with with a lot of success you know and keeping guys off balance and he does it to keep the hitters off balance that's the whole point and to keep them from getting any kind of really rhythm going against him is to keep them out of their rhythm and and uh, it it's worked out well for him but um you know he's he is uh tools wise it's all there i think it's just a matter of uh you know giving it, it maybe keeping it a little bit more consistent you know from time to time out there when he's actually on the mound and in game situations and just making the right pitches at the right time but that stuff will come the more and more that he pitches and the more and more that he you know gains some seasoning down here but yeah he's his stuff wise is as good as we've seen since we have been uh you know a part of the Brewers family here
1: the last guy i'll ask you about is somebody who's he's probably the most asked about Uh, non-top-30 prospect in the organization, and that is pitcher Phil Bickford, who's had a hard time Uh getting on the field, staying on the field. Uh, Right now he's got a 3.92 ERA, but you break that down a little bit more, he has not given up a run in, what, his last eight outings, it it would appear as we talk Mm -hmm. on, on Sunday night uh brewers fans are hopeful that he's going to find it and get it going and they you know it's just there's been so many starts and stops and weird turns for him through the course of his career but this might be the best run that he's had as a member of the brewers organization
3: it's the best run that he's had with us absolutely um, he got into a good good run at the very end of last season with us where i think he had like a nine era in the final month or so uh and struck out five in his last appearance and he was he was wiped out. I, I remember those last few, where just everything he threw was swinging, swinging and, this stuff. is fantastic with him. Uh, but yeah, uh, he, recently he's kind of found that again, and it's 14 consecutive scoreless innings. I think it's 16 strikeouts over those 14. Uh, his strikeouts just per nine numbers are incredible. I think it's up in the uh, up around 10 or 12. I think for the year right now, um, you know, it, it's not like he's throwing high 90s, and you know, he's just blowing it by guys. In that sense, he is blowing it by, guys, and that his stuff, just it's just grit, swinging and miss stuff. I think the ball leaves his hand so late, and he hides it so well, It tends to jump on hitters. Um, you know, I think today we saw him hit as high as 94, but, you know, when he's in that 93-94 range, those balls, I mean, no one is touching those right now. Um, and he's also, I think, developing some breaking stuff. i got to check in with him and pitching coach Cam Castro to see what they've been working on, but there's definitely something, uh, that he's been working on, I think, almost like a slider, something that's moving, not necessarily 12 sticks, but a little bit more of a of a side to side kind of movement um, that has been really, really effective. And you know, all these guys, you know, they're they're getting more and more access to the TrackMan type devices. Uh, I don't, but they certainly do have access to that, and they work on that stuff every single day. Uh, Cam Castro has been great, our new pitching coach here this year. He's in his first year in the Brewers system and helping these guys identify which pitches um, have maybe the the most amount of room to improve. Um, but then identifying also which ones are used, are being uh, used to the best of their ability and then building off of that and making them better. Like, for example, uh, Cam was really big on Noah Zavallis earlier this year using his curveball more and more. And Zavallis, after looking at the track man data and working with Cam, uh, began to realize that the curveball is a, a plus pitch or It can be from time to time. And when Zavallis had that complete game to a shutout against Potomac at the beginning of the second half, that's what he was using a lot that day was the curveball, and he said it was a plus pitch. He said it's never been that good uh, that he had felt before, and it was just incredible the difference that he had, at least that day, and has had ever since. I mean, he's, he's got a chance to be the pitcher of the year in this league now. Uh, but again, it's, it's one of those things where those guys are working on those type of uh, pitches and trying to get better at dialing them in more and more. And I think Bickford has begun to develop some new pitches maybe or maybe identify what has, is working best and uh, dial them in even more. But his fastball, I mean, that's been the thing that's been the best for him. And uh, it, it's, it's a swing in this fastball. It's 93-94, at least according to the gun that we have. And uh, we're, as far as we know, it's pretty accurate. But um, it, it, no one's touching it right now. And uh, I hope he gets a chance to, to go up. You know, I, I said it on air a couple of days ago uh, when he last pitched. But um, he's one of those guys, he's, he's pitched in all three advanced day leagues. He's started in the California League in the Giants system. But he came to the Brewer system in the trade. Uh, he was in the Florida State League when the team was still in Brevard County. But now, of course, he's in the Carolina League with us. But he hasn't had a chance to go above advanced day. I mean, he's got the numbers you look in his career to certainly do that. And maybe he should have gotten an opportunity before, had things continued on the right path for him. But um, I, I hope he gets a chance soon. You know, I mean, his, I think his stuff plays at the higher level. And uh, it'd be fun to see it because he deserves it. You know, he's, he's definitely put in the work. And he's gone out there every day to, to continue to put out that, uh, put in the work. And the guys love him. And I think everybody's rooting for them to get that chance to maybe go to the next level.
1: From a team standpoint, and it's always tough to really judge anything in minor league baseball off wins and losses, but I think it's a general rule. Sometimes you have a team filled with prospects, and they're just. This incredible team, and they win a ton of games. Uh, we've seen that at times, I think specifically with Biloxi, when they've had a, a lot of success. But sometimes when you've got some top prospects the way the Mudcats do right now with the top two prospects and uh, everybody else that we've talked about who certainly has uh, an ability to get to the big leagues, sometimes those players are being tested a little bit more, and I think the Brewers are willing to take their top-level prospects and push them a little bit more in the, in the minor league system than maybe other folks. and that. That creates some adversity at times. Maybe not the success level that you want right away. Is am I on the right track there? Is there maybe a correlation between these guys being pushed and the win loss record not being what the team would like it to be?
3: Um, maybe you know I you know I think they, they've for the most part kind of left a lot of our guys here just to kind of maybe gain a little bit more seasoning before going on to double A. One of the things that I think we're running into as far as not seeing a lot of movement. Um, here recently is that Biloxi is so good right now that there just isn't a whole lot of room to, to get guys maybe from our level up there and then get them still the playing times they need. We just saw Ryan Aguilar go up, and Aguilar is, I think, his numbers as they stand right now still lead this league in OPS, runs, walks. Um, I think he's in the top two or three and on base at this point, still in our league. He's in double-A now with the Shuckers in, in Biloxi. Uh, but I think one of the reasons why it took so long for him to go there is that um, you know, there just wasn't room. And then when Trent Grisham went up, that, that opened up an opportunity where there was an opening in double A because there was an opening in triple A and so on and so forth. So, so um, you know, I, I think that with, in regard to the, the one loss record with us right now, I, I think it's just the team unfortunately fell into kind of a, a collective slump all at the same time. And it happened in the middle of July. Um, they've gotten over that here recently. They're beginning to hit for power again, which is something they weren't doing in July. And the home run ball has been really important to this team this season it's not how they have scored the majority of their runs but a lot of their runs have come either because of the home run or set up by the fact that you know they're always a threat they hit a homer they're second in the league in home runs right now This is not a home run league uh but they're a team that is that is up there with you know uh they're the best of the best in this league in regard to hitting the long ball right now they've got Feliciano leading the league in home runs Lutz and Henry are tied with 13 so I think they're tied for fourth right now so the three guys in the top five is pretty good but um, again, everyone kind of, unfortunately, fell into a slump right about the same time. The pitching was still uh, very good. The relievers have been here pretty much all year long. It's been the same core group for the most part. Same thing with the starters is outside of uh, Dylan Fowle going up and Bowden Francis going up very early in the year. But um, the pitching had been, do- had been doing its job in July. The offense just was struggling. Um, and unfortunately, uh, as they got out of it the last week or so, it's kind of fallen back into that the last two games. But hopefully they'll be able to pick it up. And make a run before it's too late and maybe they can sneak into a, a playoff spot here in the second half they're not out of it but um, they definitely is winning here soon to, to try and try and see if they can make a
2: run
1: he is greg young he's the broadcaster for the carolina mudcats follow him on twitter at greg young jr jr the abbreviation jr greg if uh, folks want to take in uh, your broadcast how do they uh, go about doing that
3: yeah, uh, you can watch it on TV for all our home games. Some of the road games are streamed that way, too, so if you're a subscriber, make sure you check out that way. And all, all of, uh, as always, our, our games are available uh, for free via TuneIn Radio just uh, through our website at uh, carolinamugnats.com. All
1: right, great stuff. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll check in uh, one more time, maybe after the season is over, to kind of do a look back.
3: Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.
1: That's Greg Young joining us here on Brewers, Externings, the podcast, Powered by WTMJ Mobile. All right, here's what's coming up uh, this week. Off day on Monday, a two-game series against the Twins on Tuesday and Wednesday. The Tuesday game is going to have a 7-10 first pitch. The Wednesday game will have a 1-10 first pitch. And then they hit the road. Once again, just a five-game homestand. Three against the Rangers, the two against the Twins. And uh, they will hit the road for six uh, three against the Nationals coming up over the weekend, and then they'll continue the road trip when they go to St. Louis for a three-game set starting on the 19th. I do want to thank both of my guests for uh, coming on this week, Kyle Loebner and also uh, Greg Young. Thank you so much for being tuned in, and we look forward to talking to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, We're powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.